Hi everyone and welcome to another Firms Consulting Podcast. This podcast is, if it's misinterpreted by people listening to this, it's going to get me into a lot of trouble. But I would urge you not to misinterpret this podcast and to listen very carefully to what I'm saying. The podcast asks a very simple question. Are case are management consulting club executive committees and presidents selfish? It's a very simple question. I'm asking the question, I'm not answering it. So I don't know the answer. I'm just going to present the data that I've seen. And I'll let the readers think about this for a second. So those of you know, we've launched the consulting offer, a massive program whereby we take four real candidates, two MBAs, two PhDs from, you know, prestigious schools, Yale, um, IESC in Spain, University of Nevada, one of the top case schools in the world, one of the top three case schools in the world. Um, Of course, Darden will tell you they're probably in the top three. Um, And um, we also have people from London Business School, uh, HEC Paris, New York Stern School of Business. We put them through our training program and we video record everything producing, you know, the correct answers and so on. So one of the things we've done is um, internally within Firms Consulting, we've made a decision to try to make this as accessible as possible, both on the pricing and the schools who have access to this. This program was originally developed for the Harvard Business School, but one of the big advocates was, you know, our mentors decided that McKinsey wins if this is made available to more candidates because you get better people applying and the candidates win because they are better prepared. So one of the decisions we've made is that we'll make, we'll give consulting clubs at schools free access for their members or preferred access for their members, depending on the school, right? Some of them will get it at a, at a fairly substantial price reduction. Others get it for free, completely for free. Now, one of the things I've noticed, which is very disappointing to me, is um, we provide the material we provide access to club presidents and executive committees. And what I've noticed, they've been doing the following. They have been using the material to prepare for their own cases, but have been withholding it from giving their members access. And I've been pretty much floored by this. I've always been hesitant to engage clubs. And you know, Firms Consulting does not engage any club in the world. We just don't do that. Um, we were, if the club wants to engage us, they can write to us, but we will not engage a club. And it's always my worry that people who sign up to become club presidents, not all of them, but a fair whack of them are doing it because they want to have a leadership on their resume. And they're doing it because they think being president of the consulting club makes them more favorable to McKinsey. Now, neither of those things are true. Firstly, being president of a consulting club is so overdone that unless you are someone like you know, who's done a dramatically impressive job, it's not going to mean much. And secondly, consulting firms are not impressed that you're president of a, you know, a case club. In fact, there are very few case club presidents who get offers from the major firms. That's the reality, right? Now, what, what worries me a little bit here is that uh, I can see right now, I'm looking at our administrative panel with the designers, and we can see all these admin members logging in, using the videos, because we can track all kind of statistics, what they're watching, where they're clicking. So they're obviously finding it very useful. But for some of these schools where we've agreed that we'll give it to your members free access for the next four months, six months, pay us nothing, we don't want anything, return notice, application, they're not giving it to their members. Now, you can argue that, oh, they're test driving it, but let me tell you, that's a very long test drive. It's more like a journey, you know, it's more like the Trans-Siberian railway line. 
the point is if it's useful to the club president and there's no barrier to entry here for their for their members why are they not making it available to their members now, i have an hypothesis here because i you know we've had many club presidents talking to us and so on and my hypothesis is very simple i think a fair whack of these executive committee members are using it for their own preparation and are deliberately delaying it so they get an advantage against their um against their own members. I think that's terrible, personally. You know, the whole reason we, we've chosen certain schools and we are willing to speak to other schools to make this available to their members is that we're trying to level the playing fields, you know. We don't want to just give this to certain schools like the Ivy Leagues and allow them preferential access. We're trying to make it as broadly available as possible. But it is very disappointing when I see club presidents and executive, me executive committee members logging in and using material for their own preparation, I mean using it quite extensively. We can log hours, we can log clicks, we can log read-through rates. And we know they're using it, but they haven't given their members access. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and that's why I asked the question, you know, how selfish are club presidents? And I think it raises a broader theme here about how you, you manage, you know, the way you manage clubs. It's, I, I've some clubs we have long-standing relationships with. We don't advertise it. We don't ask them to, you know, reciprocate by putting our logos on their website. We don't actually like that because, you know, we 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 take great care to protect our logo. Um, but the reality is that I've seen some good club presidents who really do what is good for their clubs. I mean, I don't want to name them. I think that's inappropriate. But I think they go out of their way to find good ideas, bring it to their clubs, and are you know magnanimous and self selfless in trying to push it to their members as hard as they can. And they are good club leaders. And then on the other hand, what happens is you end up in the situation. You know, I think that there's an article published in the Harvard Business Review called The Glass Cliff, whereby women are usually given positions of leadership when they're brought in to run things that are so problematic that they could end up committing suicide, career suicide. And I've seen that with clubs, whereby females come in and turn around a club that's an absolute basket case. They do an amazing job. And not only females, I'm just using this as an example. I've seen males as well. But then what happens is that when the club gets turned around and the, there's some, some glamour attached to the club because, you know, it's it's drawing in uh, big funders and so on, all other kinds of people say, you know what, the club is successful, I should sign up for leadership and I need to do this. And what you, you end up in a position here is that people tend to take leadership positions for the wrong reasons. Now, you know, I wear my my intellect on my sleeve and I have no problem telling a club president that you know what firms consulting will only work with you if we like you and if we think your value system is about putting the needs of your members first and for me to know those things I have to get to know you and it's not about whether you're going to sign up it's not about whether you're going to bring across many members it's about doing what is right and if we feel you're not doing the right things we would prefer not to work with you it's not that what you're doing is wrong it's just not aligned to our value system and i'm sure there are many other organizations that would want to work with you in that regard so i think that when you are listening to this as a subscriber and you are going to be voting for a club president all of these guys have these glamorous plans and ladies, but I think you want to think, pick the person 
who is going to put the interests of the members first. It's it's really so worrying for me and I see it all the time. You know, club presidents come in, they're you know gregarious, they are confident, they promise all these things about case competitions and so members really have no idea what they what they is being talked about yet. They just hear these fancy catchwords and they vote. Uh, vote for the person who you think is going to do what is right for you. I mean I mean that seriously. The person may not be perfect but they can learn to fix their imperfect. They may not know consulting that well. In fact, I would say don't hire someone just because they have a consulting background. That's like the dumbest thing you could do, right? I would most likely hire someone who's selfless and is going to invest in your interest. That's what you should do when you are voting. As a club president and you're listening to this, I'm not accusing any club presidents. I haven't named anyone here. Uh, But I think you know who you are when you are taking these positions because they look good on your resume. You're hoping that first and foremost they can get you the role off at McKinsey. And maybe the third or fourth objective you have is to help your members. I mean, if that's your reasoning, you've got to ask yourself what kind of legacy you are leaving behind. I mean, do you really want a club that is running in such a dysfunctional way and you know thereafter you're going to be attracting such dysfunctional leaders? There was a great article that was published in Bloomberg, well, Harvard Business Review blog, but it's one of those few blog articles that are worth reading about how the reason women don't succeed as much in corporate is not because women don't succeed, it's because society is very bad at filtering out dysfunctional male leaders. And you may say that it's not just male leaders of consulting clubs who are like this, but I'll tell you right now, most consulting clubs are predominantly run by males. So, ergo, most dysfunction as a percentage of all case clubs must be male-run, right? So, just basic logic here. So, I do feel that we are very bad at filtering out people who are confident from people who are bombastic, and narcissistic. We confuse confidence for competence. That's what the article says. I'm not. You know, I don't want to take credit for all of these things, but I've seen that in my time as well. You know, I, when someone's very confident with me and uses all these catchwords and catchphrases, I immediately start zooming in on their assumptions and ask questioning them, because I notice that when people start using catchphrases and saying and just throwing out words and phrases and names they're usually doing what is known as the halo effect they're using those things to signal to you that they are experts so you shouldn't challenge them and as soon as someone does that i immediately challenge them because i know the the strategy right i'm a, i'm i'm a master of that strategy i i know how to play that strategy and i know when to not play that strategy and you know the way i build firms consulting is that we'll not play that strategy we'll live on our competence so no catchphrases no names we only put the name of one of our mentors on the website because we want to not be a firm that just advertises you know x mckinsey x bcg x bain and so on we want people to hire us because we're good now when you are with a club and you're about to vote, please do not pick the person who's arrogant and confused that for confidence and the person, because it has nothing to do with competence. The the quietest person in the room 
may be the most competent person. And you'd rather have a competent person who doesn't know everything but is able to learn and puts your interests first. So competence and values, uh, you can almost draw a two by two uh, a matrix here where you have competence on one uh, uh, axis and um, you have values on one axis. Someone who's really competent and no values is basically Jeff Skilling and he's going to be appearing in a beautiful orange jumpsuit in the future and he may even appear in an orange jumpsuit while he's completing his MBA. Yeah, it is possible. I noticed that, you know, competency or incompetency starts occurring at younger and younger ages these days. Now, if you have someone who is, I would say, strong values but not competent, I would still go with that person because while they may not be competent, their values would guide them. They would never say something like, hey, you know what, I don't know what I'm doing but I'm going to hide it because I don't want people to know I don't know what I'm doing. No. Those people who are highly values driven but maybe not very competent will surround themselves with very competent people. And, you know, lack of competency is not a bad thing. You can be incompetent at financial analysis. I mean, you have guys like, what's, what's his name, Richard Branson? Many people would say he's incompetent. Most CEOs are incompetent at something. And many things that they, sound, that they have to surround themselves with competent people. A narcissistic CEO would say, you know what? I am incompetent here, but I'm not going to surround myself with these people because it exposes my flaws. So they won't do it. A Someone who's highly competent and low on values don't want to go. There's someone highly values driven, low on competence, good to go. There's someone highly competent, strong on values, very rare, but they're a winner and you want to stick with them, right? And then on the other hand, you know, someone who is, is I would say, low on, um, you know, um, well, you know, you, you get the point here, right? You want to go with someone high on values if you can, low on competency, low on values, not going to get you anywhere. That's the lovable fool, as you know, the Harvard Business Review calls him. But let's just circle back to where I started here, because I started off with consulting clubs, I think, being very selfish, I think, in the way they're managing access to some of our material. I've seen they're not giving it they're not giving their members access to the material and I'm I'm debating whether we need to pull the plug on this and go around some of the clubs and just give access directly to the members. We can do that. We've done that at some schools. We can do that at all schools. My point is if you are a club president who is using our who has a partnership with firms consulting to make the consulting offer to your students accessible you should do that sooner than rather than later because we do track these things and it really upsets me when I see selfish behavior. You know, it's not right to abuse power because you are on the executive committee to have access to things that you only have access to because you promise to make them available to the broader audience, but you're not doing that. So if you're a club president, you can change. If you're not a club president and you're a member of a club and you're listening to this, you can always contact us to think about how we can make the materials available to your school. We're happy to do that. We don't have to go to the club. We would like to go to the club because we think we would. We do want to support clubs. We think they have a role to play. But when they're run by narcissistic people, then I think the game plan will have to change a little bit here. Now, I don't want to have to put up this podcast. It's going to hopefully get some kind of response, but... I'm not accusing all clubs of doing this. I'm accusing some clubs of doing this. And I do think clubs should, club presidents should definitely put the needs of their members first. That's what a good leader does. It's about servant leadership.